Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I was born and raised in this community, and the people of our community matter to me. And so several months ago, I started this podcast, and I have several intentions as to why, so I'll share them with you as I do on every episode. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO, Kundalini Yoga community, in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural misappropriation and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. Today, I wanna to welcome our guest. Her name is Lana Reed, formerly Shakta Kalsa. She started practicing Kundalini Yoga in 1976. Um, she lived in the Baltimore ashram where she met Kartar, her husband. She lived fully committed to the path, working with children in the Dharma and raised a son named Ramdas, who went to MPA for many years. Lana started making inner shifts beginning in 2001 and around 2008, uh, the Dharmic identity no longer represented her fully and she changed her outer look. And more recently, she changed her name as well. She and her husband, who has also changed tremendously over the last decade, have found a way to let each other be themselves, at least most of the time, she says. Lana is a political and social activist, author of yoga books, and founder of Radiant Child Yoga, a method of being with children that allows them to maintain their tremendous wisdom and radiance. 
So I want to welcome Lana. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, please unmute yourself if you can. Thank you so much. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Good. Thank you so much. It was a beautiful introduction, and I so appreciated your 11 or, or, or whatever, however many, the um, intentions for this. Uh, really, really important, actually, and good reminders for all of us. Yeah, thank you. Every time I read them, I'm reminded myself. I'm like, oh, yeah, these are all really good reasons. They are. They are. And uh, I think the one that I was relating to a lot for my story was about, um, you know, acknowledging our ourselves, our, our full selves, our feelings, our everything that has happened to honor that. And um, I have found that by honoring that for myself, it has allowed me to create a relaxation around it, which then has allowed me to move mm. in according to my guidance in whatever direction um, forward. So that's been a, a very, very big factor for me. Mm. I think that's really beautiful to, you know, to really honor all these parts as you're saying that come up and maybe uncomfortable to reconcile in a moment, but to be able to like soften ourselves and hold them, right? Hold these desires. And I think your, your story really is important. I, I don't know you personally or that well, but I know that you've been very vocal and I've witnessed your transformation over the years while your husband stayed very much Dharmic wearing a full turban. And, and I think that's, was beautiful again from a distance i was watching that thinking wow you know a relationship really has to have challenging questions as those transformations take place and whatever that story is i'm excited for you to share that today thank you i, I don't know where you want me to start um well, but I want to start actually here yeah. before going into the story sure. why do you feel right now um sharing your story is important I guess because um, there have been things that that I um, things that I went through because I was changing and growing, and they didn't have as much to do with Yogi Bhajan. They had they weren't a reaction to Yogi Bhajan. They were more me curiously self discovery, moving in a direction of self discovery. But at the same time, um, there was lots of things that we all are going through now with all these revelations of Yogi Bhajan, there were many things, even at that time, that were pieces that I had to deal with and I had to work through. So maybe um, by me sharing my story, it might be helpful to some others. Also, I, I feel, felt like the way that I looked at um, leaving this path that I never thought I would leave, I thought forever I would just be in this path, was that... Um, I would take all the best things of it and I would uh, then leave the rest of the things. And that has really served me well. I, I, I felt like, uh, what if, you know, what if Kartar can be himself and I can be myself? Wouldn't that be learning unconditional love? That, that would be something that I would l want to learn. And so I felt excited about that instead of fearful about it. I mean, sometimes, of course, it hasn't worked out that way. Many times, there's been times when I'm like, oh, gee, he doesn't even believe in these things anymore. Why does he have to do this? You know, but we've had very clear, good conversations. And I just allowed him to express, for example, 
one time I just out of pure, not out of negativity, I just remember we were lying in bed together and I just said, can you just tell me why, even knowing what you know, why you feel is it's important to not cut your hair or to wear the turban. And he just really thought about it. And he just was very honest. He said, I'm just comfortable as I am. I'm just comfortable. I don't feel the urge like you do to make these changes, but I honor that you feel this way. And in fact, he has said to me many times that I was the impetus for him to grow mm. and to change and, and be, become who he is now is very, very different person from who he was and I was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think, think that's one of the most important things. Yeah. I think you're just touching on a very rich, rich topic around like, what mm -hmm. does it mean to be in lifelong relationship, right? Quote, yeah. and then to realize that your desire of how you show up in the world may change. And, um, and it wasn't until just this year when or 2020 when everything got revealed about Yogi Bhajan and the abuse that you got more definitive around no I need to change my name I don't want you know like you cut yes. your hair you stopped wearing a turban you were doing outside things and you and your husband were reconciling the fact that he was still very much enjoying showing yeah. up with that identity and you weren't and can your relationship hold that right and then this year a little more shifting took place like no I need to shed my name and yet it was he... more it was definitely more than that and i don't know if we want to go into that now or what i don't mind uh talking about it but i, I just wanted know... to highlight it for listeners yeah. really okay. really so that as you're listening to the, to this um that people get a lens on the growth and and where you've been kind of shedding levels of your identity of this outward yeah. 3HO persona that we got given. And then yeah. that's been a choice over the last 2000, right from 2001. And then right. now new changes and your change started changing your relationship. And then he got to start asking questions about himself. That's what I'm hearing. And I think that's oh, yes. just yes. a beautiful point to make that yeah. that's what this journey offers. When we ask yes. different questions, when we listen to right. uncomfortable stories, when we are willing to see a different lens, we change, yeah. we, ask, yes. we, ask, we grow. That's right. Yeah. And even for me, when I notice my irritation with him, oh, why does he have to put, he doesn't even wear Bana anytime around the house, but then why does he have to put Bana on for teaching? You know, and I, then I have to, I either can do one of two things. I can either grouse to him, which he doesn't like and doesn't go anywhere, or I can go like question that. Like, I like what Byron Katie says. I don't, let go of beliefs, I question them, and then they let go of me. That has Ooh. been a very important concept for me. And it, it was that like, oh, why, why do I care if he does that? What, what's it to me? Am I just so insecure that I need him to be like me? Can I just let him be him and me be me? So these are like the questionings that would happen. Mm. Yeah. I very much process like you like i'll say mm -hmm. is that really true what yeah. if that were not true you know exactly. is this is this bringing up um judgment for me to examine myself what part of my identity yeah. isn't okay with that being true for him so you're yes exactly that's, that's the way of... that i process too i think i'm like a i'm sort of like a, a geek that way <laughs> right there with you <laughs> so, 
I just really wanted to highlight that so that listeners got to really see and pierce into the lens mm-hmm. that it wasn't just opened up for you. This has been an ongoing conversation mm. and the revelations of the extent of the abuse and the sadistic level of abuse has then brought a new level of seeing. And yes. so now, yeah. Now let's go back. Start us okay. in how you found Kundalini. I'll start. I'll start in the beginning. Yeah, just uh, basically the the one important thing that I've mused on a lot about my life is that I always was different from my family. Like I was a vegetarian at age four because at age four I realized meat was animals and meat were my best friends. I mean, meat, animals were my best friends, not meat. Meat was my not best friend. <laughs> And, um, and so like nobody in my Pittsburgh blue collar worker family thought like that at all, you know, and uh, many of my relatives went out hunting and stuff like that. So I had this very different point of view. And I, I always there was always a little bit of loneliness within me, like I would think a lot and I had I was still geeky then. And that way I would ponder big ideas, you know, like, I would I would just ponder them. Like I remember coming back from church, we were whatever Methodist or something and we weren't really heavily um, indoctrinated that much we would go to church sometimes or not and I just sat on my bed I was about 11 and I thought about what the preacher had said he goes like and I'm thinking like I don't think that can be true that um, you can't get to heaven if it isn't through Jesus because well, what about those people in China? I didn't even know who they were. I didn't know about Buddha. I didn't know anything. I just said, well, what about people in other countries? They have their own way. So this doesn't make any sense to me. So even as a child, I would always sort of question things and really kind of go to a different place with them, a more expanded a wisdom place with them. And I think that's one of the reasons I started Radiant Child Yoga is because I myself did not feel that I was understood and that I remember the inner wisdom and innocence and, and connection I had to all things. And then as it started to go away, as I began to take on these adult-like points of view and say, this is right, this is wrong, etc. So that was that time period. Then I, um, I was a, a hippie for a while and I got into, um, Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, and that really opened up my mind to this. Then I was able to take a a Hatha yoga class in 1972, and it was self-realization. It was Yogananda's yoga. So it had maybe like eight poses, and I would just do those eight poses every day in my apartment until one day somebody came to town with, uh, this is in my college town in State College, Pennsylvania. And um, he came to town with a uh, turban on and he was teaching Kundalini yoga. And my boss at the natural food store uh, said, hey, let's all go to this class. And I was sort of like, I already have my yoga. I don't need this, you know, but I went and then I loved it. So then I started coming over at four o'clock in the morning. And from there we went to winter solstice That was 1976. And at that solstice, I just, all I can say about it now is I went into like a trance, mystical trance, like there, for example, I had never wrapped a turban on my head. I didn't even know how to do it. And I took, somebody wrapped a turban on my head and I took Amrit Baus. At the first solstice I went to, it was like I was in this I don't know how to describe it. You could call it like a trance-like mystical experience. 
but it wasn't until much later that I thought, oh, that was really strange that, and people don't normally do this. They hang around for a while and then they see if they want to take Omrit. And I just mm. jumped into the whole thing. Mm. I can't even remember what I was thinking. I, I don't remember. And then I went to live in the Baltimore ashram with Daya Singh and Daya Carr. And I'm still very close with them. They are not in, in Kundalini Yoga or 3HO anymore. And they live in Boulder where my son lives. So we all visit when we go there and it's wonderful. And um, I lived there for many years. And uh, the next year I got married to Kartar and he was also in the, And we did everything in the most pure way, like only hold hands before you get married. And Oh my God, now when I think about it, it's like craziness, but okay, that was like the purity of it. You know, we were, we were very innocent about all of this stuff. Who knew what Yogi Bhajan was doing? Like to me, I was like following it like in truth. So in a way I feel like innocent about that, like mm -hmm. maybe naive, yes, but also innocent. And we just followed that purity and I got value from it. So I understand that. So uh, let's say some years have passed. I started working with children a lot. I was known in 3HO as like the lady who plays the music and does uh, songs and yoga with kids. I, I was doing that for so many decades. I did that forever, I think. And um, uh, we actually had two children come and live with us. One for a short period of time. Her, she had tantrums that she couldn't seem to get out of and her parents didn't know what to do with the, her. I can't say we did the best job with her all the time, but we learned through trial and error how to work with her and how to be with her as a soul on a soul level, which I think was the most valuable thing I got from it was seeing that this tiny being had this big soul and had taken on such a huge challenge so early in life. And that made me respect her. Mm -hmm. and helped me to uh, work with her more in kindness. So there were some good things that came from that and for her too. Then her mother came to live with us to see how we were working with her and she took over with her. So then her mother continued to live with us and I'm in touch with her as well. And uh, then a little boy came to live with us uh, for a couple of years. He was pretty hyperactive and we worked with him with changing his diet and things. And then he went and he went to school in India, which was terrible for him because he was just too mischievous and he got in a lot of trouble and he, he that wasn't a good combo for him. It mm. really wasn't. But, you know, in those days, this is the early 80s, mid 80s. It was like you just followed along with the thing. Okay, every child is supposed to go to school in India. All right, you just follow along with it. His mother had agreed to it too. Mm. So there was that. And, just real um, quick for clarity, um, who yeah. who arranged the kids to come to live with you all? Like, how did that work? Like in terms of- uh, Different uh, teachers in different ashrams, let's say. Um, okay, so the dais were very connected to the teachers in in um, Philadelphia and it was their daughter. And they, for some reason, they understood that Kartar and I were good with kids. Maybe we had worked at children's camp. My husband actually organized children's camp at Solstice for many, for decades. Okay. And so we're both really are very child oriented and we didn't have children. And so um, I think our teachers arranged that I was so new in the path, I don't even know how things worked. I had no idea that as soon as I moved in that ashram, everybody was looking at me and matching me up with Kartar. I had no idea. I was so naive. 
I, I didn't, I always felt like maybe I'm never going to get married. I don't even think I want to get married. I was kind of like that, <laughs> you know? So that was, so that was that. And then for the little boy, his mother was a yoga student. I don't know if she was a Sikh in New York city and she was lived in Harlem and he was African-American. She was too. And their teachers were Sachiva and Sangankar. And they had called up, they were friends with Daya. See all the teachers, the heads of the ashram all talked together and then they made the arrangements about everything. Got and Kartar and I were like second in charge of the Baltimore ashram. So we, it's just the way it was. It was this big hierarchy all the time, you yeah. know. So the teachers and, of yeah. Daya Sankar uh, married you two, like, or arranged you two. Well, it was like we liked each other and they gave us a little kick in the butt. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, it gives us a good we were both there. very, we're both purists. We're both Virgos. So. <laughs> okay. Purist, you know, take things so seriously, et cetera. And that so, makes sense. Yeah. So ashram heads are yeah. talking and arranging things. Exactly. But from your perspective, it was all just happening and, and for the greater yeah. good. If it was being told to do, it was like, yes. Yeah. I was, so, I was very naive about things and how they came about for quite a long time. Uh, and then I then I started to branch out. And instead of working at the Golden Temple Natural Food Restaurant and store in the um, in Baltimore, I started my own Montessori school. I took Montessori training and our little school was right next to the Montes the Golden Temple Natural Food Store and Cafe with the Kundalini Yoga Center right on top. So all through the 80s, that was what I did. I was um, I was a Montessori teacher ages three to six. And um, a lot of our uh, a lot of my students ended up being the uh, children of our yoga students and our customers and people who wanted something really connected and authentic and spiritual for their kids. Not spiritual in the in a sense of like religious, but more like just working with the children in a conscious way. Mm -hmm. So um, I had that school for a number of years. And then um, during that time period, I started to interact more with people out in the world. See, before this, it's like very cloistered. And I'm, I'm sure lots of them are, you know, very cloistered. Like we all worked at the Golden Temple. That was our space. And people who came in were our customers. So we were always like the top dog because it was our thing. And we were like the experts, etc. Mm -hmm. But we weren't interacting with people like just on an equal basis, right? On a human level. On a human level, right. But when I had my school, that started change. I had um, an assistant, she was wonderful. And she was like, just, we call them regular people. She was like a regular person. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I know, it's crazy to think of it now. And, um, and, I, and then I interacted with the parents and started to really see like, you know, we're all just human beings here. We're all just doing our thing. We're all just learning and growing. So that was sort of the beginning for me of thinking differently and getting outside of that mindset, like we're here to save the world, you know, kind of we're also a rule. Oh man, did I hate that? That's the rule of the world. Right. That song just grated my nerves so badly. I thought like, I cannot handle this, but still I didn't do anything about it. I just went along with things. But then I would say by the end of um, the eighties, uh, a friend of mine had introduced me to a channel teacher named Bashar. 
and I started listening to Bashar and Abraham things. They're both channel teachers, and they both say similar things about um, energy and vibration, which is something that I was always the most into. Like I was not, reflecting back, I wasn't a, I didn't get into this 3HO Sikh Dharma path because I needed a community. I did not get into it because I needed a religion. I got into it because sometimes when Yogi Bhajan would talk or the yoga would work on me, I could feel energy and I could connect. And I understood that everything was vibrational energy. And that's where my geekiness comes in because I'm very much about that. Because to me, that's the one thing that's true. It is energetic and it's true. Like if I, if I talk to my dog in a sweet way or I just look at her with a smile, she comes over to me and she wants to be petted because she felt the energy. So I understand that energy is, is the thing. Mm -hmm. And I liked when Yogi Bhajan would talk about that. And I didn't like when Yogi Bhajan would scream at people and put them down and talk all this negative stuff. So I had a hard time with him in the eighties, I would like, you were expected to go to ladies camp every year. And I hated ladies camp. First of all, I hate, I hate being hot and we had to live in tents. That's one. I hate the desert. Okay. Sorry, New Mexico. I do not like the desert. I like forest. I like living where I live in the East where we have four seasons. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I, I remember one time Yogi Bhajan had someone stand up and he, this woman, and he screamed at her because her husband had an affair. He screamed at her. He said, you should have kept him contained. You should this. And I had to leave. I left and I went in the back where the people were taking care of the babies. And I just stayed back there with the babies. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I, you know, I, I remember at some point I just said to my husband, I am not going to ladies camp, but it was actually expected you know, you saved up your money from working at the Golden Temple so you could go to ladies' camp, solstices and ladies' camp. So um, I don't know when I just stopped going. It was somewhere in the late 80s or whatever. Wow, and then, that's a big um, deal. This, I just yeah. want to acknowledge that, that during that time you're noticing like visceral body responses like, I don't agree with this, and yet you're staying. And so you're making choices that are actually against the grain, but still staying. Yes, I didn't. I didn't know what to do. It was too early for me. I didn't. I didn't have what I needed within myself to be able to do that. I was still like a part of the whole package picture that was going on. And but I, I could feel that. And there were other things too that I that just went against my grain, like. Um, I, I'm a dancer. I love to dance. I love rock and roll dancing. And it was sort of like we had to give up. You know, we only could listen to Gravani Kirtan. You know, we had to give up all these all these things and uh, for many, many years. And uh, then we have to do marching and stuff at ladies camp. And that just wasn't me. But of course, you know, what I tried to do is find some value in it. Like, okay, this makes my brain more focused or whatever. Because mm -hmm. I couldn't bear to put it all together and say like, hey, I can't handle any of this anymore. So I just found some way to make it work for me mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. So in the late 80s, I, um, with this Bashar thing, I met uh, the person who was the main Bashar thing, a man, and this man and I had some strong connection. Now, we didn't have a physical connection ever, but even just over the phone, 
I could feel all of my chakras opening up in a very different way. And I felt very connected to him. And it was all about energy. And that person, I, I said to my husband, um, I've met someone and I think I'm not really part of this path anymore. And I, I don't know for sure, but it just feels different to me. And at that point, that was in the late 80s, um, he called up and we called up whoever did it called up we weren't living in the ashram situation anymore we were on individual houses but in community and i think by then we had moved down to virginia where okay. we live now so yogi bhajan i met uh, yogi bhajan at a Kulsa council meeting it was maybe 1989 1990 before this we'd had talks about having a child and that because we wanted to have a child um i you know, I didn't get like clear messaging from him. He would say things like love God, relax, etc. But as far as having a one on one meeting like this, uh, this was very memorable for me. And I'm mentioning it because I want you to see what happens in the 90s after I have this experience with him. Because okay. it was a really good way for me to see how when you immerse yourself in this, it does put you in a certain state of consciousness and you can think it's the the right thing to do and the best thing to do so we i met him and he starts uh first thing he did was um what don't you like about 3ho you just tell me and so i thought um okay he's asking me i'm going to tell him and i said i remember the conversation really well i said all right sir and he goes like don't sir me you just talk to me the way you do and i said in my brain it was like okay this is my only opportunity to really be real. So just drop all this stuff and be real. And I said, all right, I don't like this. What about this? Why we're doing it this way? What about selling? I remember specifically, why is Kelsa Jewelers selling ivory? Ivory comes from elephants. Why are we doing this? Why is it? What, what's all this? What's all this stuff about jewelry and money and that? Aren't we supposed to be here to serve people? I was like, like that and it was really good and he answered me but now that i read pamela's book i realized that a lot of that was manipulation he he let me say my piece so i could feel good and he just answered me however i didn't even i didn't buy his answers but i just felt good to be able to express mm. so then then he goes all right, this is, oh, and then he said to Qatar, because Qatar was at the table, he goes, all right, so this is, this is, he said to Qatar, oh, I didn't know she was so fierce, he said. Ah. Oh. Yeah, I can't, I have a very fierce side. Yeah, especially when it comes to, uh, it comes to uh, protecting children and mm. championing children, but other ways too. Uh, so then he like, he said, Oh, I forgot to say this in the very beginning, when I sat down, he set the tone that see, now I understand a lot of this. Yeah, he set the tone by saying, what is this about this person? And then he goes, you effed him. He screamed it. And we were in a we were sitting around it. You know how there's all those tables. It's like a luncheon and there's everybody is all around all the secretaries, all people. He screamed that. Wow. I know what he was doing now. And even then I could feel it. He wanted to throw me off guard. He wanted to get me down. He wanted to shake me up. Mm. And I said, I did not do that. And I, and then I just, I was almost crying. So then I'll just leave that go. My phone is ringing. Sorry, I didn't turn it up. Hold on. 
And then he said, okay, you just tell me all the things you don't like about this. Now, then the third thing was, all right, here's what you have to do. Mm. It, get up at two o'clock in the morning and chant Waheguru for two and a half hours. Eat one meal a day. Interpret the city Guru Granth Sahib for the common person. Um, don't talk. Walk six miles a day with your husband holding hands chanting Waheguru. Okay, so that was... I think that was the whole sadhana. And as he was saying it, my mind was going like, there's no way I'm doing this. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And then right at the very end, I could feel my mind went, but if I don't do it, I'll never know for sure if this is my path or not. And so I knew I almost felt like I had a ball and chain around my ankle and I knew I was going to do it. And I remember walking with my husband holding hands. Guru. I just felt really like, like I was in prison. I'm, I'm like, Guru. I was, it was so hard. But as time went on, I did this for a year, two years. And as time went on, I got to interpret the, the part that I loved, interpret the city Guru Grand side without God, the word God, without any he's use as an energy. So I still actually have that. I interpreted 120 pages out of the Gurmukhi uh, book in two years. That's how long it took me to do 120 pages out of the large volume that has the Gurmukhi. So anyway, that was really special. And but also very intense. I want to pause here for a very second. Very intense. Go back because you're doing a combination for us. You're giving the reflection notes and yeah. your, your kind of experience <laughs> of it, which is fine. But I want that's why I want to highlight it. What was the premise of that meeting? You bring to your you go to your husband after the Bashar call, and then yeah. you express. And then does somebody set up that because you're questioning the Dharma? Oh yeah. Okay. It was it was. It was my husband okay. who did that because um, by that time we were not living in the ashram situation. And I don't even know for sure they, uh, the Deas lived next door to us, but then we moved to Virginia. Okay. And I don't think anybody else was involved with that. I don't think Kartar went and talked with anyone. I believe he just made the arrangement for us to meet. And I wrote a letter, I forgot to say this, to Yogi Bhajan. And I said, this is what it, where I'm at and this is what I'm going to do. And then at the very end, I wrote something because Kartar said, he read the letter and he said, you're not leaving any space at all for, for this to be, even be able to work out. You're saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm at. Da, da, da. And I, I listened to him and I said, okay. And I wrote at the bottom, I said, I understand that some of this stuff might not, I might not be perceiving the whole picture. I understand that. Mm -hmm. And I sent this letter to him. And that's when we had the meeting okay. at a winter, right after a winter solstice at the um, Kulsa council meetings. So everybody was around at tables. And um, I had to just go through a lot of embarrassment, you know, my pride, <laughs> everything, you know. Well, and I think you're contexting it really well. Like here, it's towards the end of the 80s. There's obviously been some stuff that's happened in different ashrams. So you're starting to get a feeling. And that's why you sharing what took place in that meeting. He started with a with a 
you know, you're effing so-and-so when really, yeah. you, you know, this situation made you start to question things and now he's setting up a precedent of moving yes. you back in the direction that he wants and you he to did. go. That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And I took the bait because I wanted to know for sure. Yeah. And so what happened was that I did this for like two years okay. and then or maybe a year and a half. I cannot even remember. It's all very hazy. Uh, but then I met him at a ladies' camp, and he's and uh, of course Narinjan, his secretary, said, "Shakta is still doing this, and is there any ending time for this, or is it just like ongoing?" And uh, and then he, I remember he pulled me in close to him, and he gave me a hug. But he didn't ask me how I was doing. He asked Narinjan, "How is she doing?" etc. And she goes, she's doing very well. It was like one of those weird situations. Then he goes, all right, come and see me at the ranch tomorrow. So I came the next day to the ranch and he said, your life is going to change completely this year. And that's all he said to me. And he was in that kind of yogi far away place. And um, that year after 14 years of marriage, uh, Kortar and I got pregnant and we had our son. So that happened in 1991. Mm. And I, you know, there was some involvement of Yogi Bhajan energy in that. Uh, I don't really want to go into that right now, but he he did. Uh, we did ask him for help, and it was around that time that I got pregnant. But I wouldn't say that you know, if he has connections, I don't understand it. With Guru Ramdas, then, you know, probably it was just the energetic connection that or we were just open and ready at that time, and there was an energetic connection. So out of many you know decades 14 years of nothing no no miscarriage no nothing we had one child and then we thought maybe we could have children and i was already 41 and kortar was 46 and um no nothing again wow. nothing again so no need for birth control but <laughs> one bonus <laughs> <laughs> One bonus, right? So that was that scene. And and here's the thing that I noticed. Because this kind of brought me back in the Dharma in a different kind of way, with still an openness mm -hmm. to other things. That was a good way of starting out with our son. And and I think that that, was, that, that part fit together mm -hmm. as it was. And then as our son kept getting older, and then I was thinking, like, I don't know if I you know, I know he's probably going to go to school in India, everybody in the, in the Herndon ashram, all the kids go and they were like his brothers, they all play together and they were all going. And then one day he just goes to me, he was like, eight or something. He goes like, I want to go to school in India. And I said, well, Satmander's not going yet. And Satmander was his best friend and he was older. He goes, well, I'll make some new friends. Mm -hmm. So it was him who asked to go. I wanted to wait. So he went when he was almost nine. And then um, he came back every summer and there were some very hard things that he didn't even tell me about until more recently, like spending a whole day hiding under the bed so that the big boys wouldn't beat him up. And, um, you know, I would send him things and he'd say, oh no, the guy in charge was his name, Guru Jagat was there and he saw the big kids just came and took all our treats. I said, why didn't he stop them? Oh, they don't, you know, it was just like that. They don't do that. You know, so there was there was that kind of thing. 
but we did it because I was still like in the path, in the Dharma, et cetera. So that was the nineties. And you're full, still wearing a turban, full of the path. I was still wearing a turban and everything, but I would say that I was starting to make more space with that. Like I would go out to maybe to Blockbuster and get a video and just have my hair in a Rishi knot. And of course be feeling like, oh, I hope nobody sees me or these people don't know that I wear a turban or I look like a regular person or <laughs> oh my god weird thoughts right the weird thoughts yeah from all the brainwashing yeah so, and i also um, want to point out that you know it's i think it was very common as children that we wanted to go to school in india because it was the thing to do it's like yeah and this is mpa so this is the final school yes. and there was you know three versions three generations yeah. if not longer of children going it's like we that's a, a internal social pressure almost Yes. And excitement, you know, because it's different yes. and it's a part of what makes our us unique. And yeah, well, um, I did go over to India. The first time I went to India was in 88 or so. So that was right before this other stuff happened. And I went over when our, our, our boy Hari Singh, who we had been um, raising, when he went over for the first year, I wanted to be a volunteer. And that was at the Dehradun. Der so that was the Guru Ramdas Academy. And I, I worked with the girls there for two and a half months to help them orient. And just to think of my mindset now, it was like the, the girls would, the way that they dealt with their homesickness is they would write recipes of the things that they'd love to eat mm -hmm. that they didn't have there. And I, I remember just feeling that like two ways I had to think about that. One is my heart just went out to them and I, I could feel their sadness about, you know, nothing was like home here. And then my other dharmic part went like, oh, that's so creative the way that they they found a way to deal with this so they can be, you know, this is like their path. They're going to be strong. This is going to make them strong. You know, I could feel like those two parts of me uh, within me, the part that just to had the party line. You know, and then the the mm. part that was feeling like, oh gosh, this is so hard for them. They're they're writing down their favorite recipes, like just as a way to bring them back into a feeling of home. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So that was that was my time period. And there. when he was in India, how was that for you as a as a mother? Sometimes. It was really good. And I'll tell you why. That's when I started Radiant Child Yoga and I could really focus on it. And I felt like, okay, he's doing his Dharma. I'm doing my Dharma. We're all, you know, we're all doing our right things. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it felt like that. Sometimes uh, I really missed him. I was glad he came home in the summers. Then when it was time to go back, he would go through so much pain, but he would say he wanted to go. And that was very heartbreaking because he would cry and go through things and that. And But he would always say he wanted to do it. So there was that. The first year I wanted to go visit and he sent me an email. And I mean, he was only nine. And he said, something inside of me is saying you shouldn't come this year. And I wanted, I was concerned. I thought maybe he was being influenced by others who said, your parents shouldn't come here on the first year. Mm -hmm. And I said, did someone tell you that? Or is that coming from you? And he said, no, that's from me. But it took him a, a bunch of years to tell me that the reason he didn't want me to come is because he had just started sleeping and that he wasn't able to sleep. And that would have been March. So from September to March, 
took him that long to be able to sleep. And he was afraid that if I came when I left again, that would happen. Oh. So, I mean, the maturity that it took, you know, for him, and he's always been a very, very mature person. He did get into some bullying. And I asked him about that. What, when you, you yourself got, you know, when he was older and went there, I said, well, you yourself got bullied. Why, why would you be bullying anybody? What, you know how it feels like, you know? And he goes like, I don't know. I just got caught up in it because the other kids were, and I'm like, that's no excuse, mm. you know? You know, he, he skipped a couple grades because he's smart and he was small. He didn't, he, his growth spurt didn't happen until he was almost graduating. So there he was, this short guy, small guy in with all these big kids, two years older than him. So he was trying to act like a tough guy to, to, you know, to fit in. I, I understand the psychology and he, he actually understood it too. Yeah. So there was that. And all during this time, did you know about this or was it later in reflection that he was able to share? He talks to me about it now, and, but I know I did hear about the beat up of some kids and I asked him about that because he was involved with that. And that's what he told me because I would usually go there every March and visit for the spring break. Okay. And that's where we would really catch up and I get to see what was going on there. Um, he did tell me that he got involved in it and I, you know, I just said, I, you know, I can't, I can't accept your reason. You know, you absolutely know what this is like. You should be a champion for these kids, you know, mm. instead, you know, so he had to do his, his thing. He has a lot of fiery energy, I guess, takes after me <laughs> that way. How many years <laughs> did he attend MBA? He went from um, time he was almost nine until he graduated at 16. Okay. Long time. But I, there was a remarkable thing that happened on the year before he graduated. We were out in New Mexico at the graduation for the year before his. And I was there and he was with his good friend, um, Raj Paul. And he and Raj Paul were sitting together and we had flown together on the airplane. We we're flying back together. So I'm sitting there and I'm hearing the people who were the heads of the school all talk about like, the Khalsa and you're going to do this and, and, you know, you're going to go out with your bana and live this way and da, 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 and all this kind of highfalutin, you know, put it, you know, idealist idealism, right. And also pressure on the children. And um, I, that really bothered me. And I was just trying to think about what, how I felt about that. And as we we're flying home in the plane, I said to Ramdas and to Raj Paul, I said, you know, something really bothering me about that. And of course they were like 15 by then. So I could just talk. We just talked like people. We didn't, he wasn't like my son. We were just talking like people. And I said, what really bothered me was I wanted to hear someone say, no matter what you do in life, no matter how you look, no matter what you end up doing, we love you. We know you and we love you. We love you no matter what. And that was bothering me so much. And that was a big thing for me too. I just started seeing like more and more, like how could this, how, how can I be involved in this? It's not, it's not real. It isn't compassionate. It's not real, mm. you know? It's all about these living up to these ideals. And then we were supposed to think that Yogi Bhajan lived up to these ideals all the time. And then when the whole thing came crashing down, like I thought about how they punished my son for being in a room with his girlfriend with the door locked. And I'm thinking like, and Yogi Bhajan did what he did? 
Mm. I was furious. Mm. I just got so furious. I said, you know, what hypocrites? Yes. Mm. What hypocrites? <sighs> My son was in a room as a, that's a normal thing a teenager does, explore with, with these things. He was 15, 16, so was she. That's different. What Yogi Bhajan did is completely you know, abnormal and predatory and um, sadistic, sadistic, everything. Yeah. 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 So it, it, you know, I didn't know all of that, but I had heard by the, I would say by the late nineties, early two thousands, I was hearing directly, not directly, but through other people that some of the secretaries were saying some things or former secretaries were saying that they had sex with Yogi Bhajan. And then I had a very interesting experience at during that 2001 to 2008 time period of change. Uh, every year I would teach at Kripalu. And I got to know some of the Kripalu people that are the staples there. And one of them was a person who, um, uh, I won't say his name just because um, I don't know if he is okay with me telling this story. So, um, but one day we were walking in the woods and he said, oh, I have a good Yogi Bhajan story for you. I said, oh, okay. And I thought it was just going to be a funny story. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, um, <laughs> he goes, um, so when Amrit Desai left because he had sex with, with women, Yogi Bhajan called me and he flew me out to New Mexico in an airplane because he wanted me to take over Amrit Desai's place. And he said, and, and he said to me, you just need to be more commanding. You need to be like a teacher. He said, this is the way you talk to people. And he had his secretaries around him. So he wasn't in a room just with him. He goes, you need to be more commanding. You need to, you need to be like a teacher. You know, it's a lot of the same stuff you saw in Pamela's book. Yes. That kind of manipulative way of of thinking and speaking, right? To get people to think you're tops and you everybody should follow you. And he was trying to teach this guy who wasn't like that at all, this person. And then he said, so what if Amrit Desai had sex with a bunch of women? I've had sex with every woman in this room. And when that when this friend of mine from the Kripalu friend said that to me, my mouth dropped open and he saw the look on my face and he said, Oh, I'm sorry. He said, I thought you probably knew this because the way he said it was so casual and nobody, not one person in the room refuted it. Mm -hmm. He said, and I said, no, I didn't know I'd heard, but I didn't know this. And you've given me something really deep to, to, to think on. So that was interesting. Whoa, I that felt like around... energy from my head <laughs> dropped down to my stomach, like how that must have like landed in you. And I asked him if he would talk to the AOB. I don't know if he did. I didn't see it in the report. But he. But what was so important about that was he wasn't in 3HO. He told me this so innocently. He didn't nonchalant. know anything. Yeah, nonchalant. nonchalantly he, sharing he, a Yogi Bhajan story with you exactly. because you're kind of on the fringe. You're very much in, yeah. and yet you're also very open-minded and and yeah. conversing externally with your radiant child work. Yeah. So that was 
that was just something. Now you hadn't so cut your hair or stopped wearing your turban yet, or no? You, okay, so that was. No, but still I will, very I will much tell you. Path. Yeah. Yeah, I will tell you how that happened, and I don't know how much time we have. My stories are so long. <laughs> I think you're doing Sorry. great. You're paint, you're moving okay. forward, and you're also painting a very beautiful picture in lens. Okay. So it's helpful. Well, I think the important story now is how did all of this, how did all this change and transformation happen? So that same person who came about in 1988 or whatever, he emailed me in 2001, and I saw the it. Bashar, the Bashar channel. Yes. Okay. Yes. He wasn't the channel guy. He was just someone who was a, a major part of that of that teacher, whatever. I, I, he's not a teacher, guided channel, right? He emailed me and I saw the email and I freaked out and I was like, I'm not going to answer that. I don't want to bring out that can of worms. This was about 2001. But then this other part of me, because I've been growing and changing and looking at life as a discovery more, like discovering who I am, what I'm about, what, what is this? What is life? Because it's always been a lifelong quest for me. So I said, no, if this is here, it's here for a reason. And I'm going to find out that reason. Mm. And I emailed him back and then we started conversing and that whole energy started coming up again. And this time though, he said to me, look, this doesn't have integrity. He wasn't married, but this does not have integrity unless the only way it's integrated is if your husband knows and is involved in this. So I talked with Qatar and I, and then, and then it was like, um, I started to realize that it wasn't meant for me to be with this took about a year though. It wasn't meant for me to be with this other person, but he and I on some level, some soul level or whatever, we accelerated each other's paths. But mm. to think of being with this person, it didn't even make sense to me. I, I wasn't connected to his lifestyle. I I didn't think that that would really work. I'm, first of all, I'm like a really, <laughs> I'm a fanatic vegan, vegetarian. Okay. I know that about myself. I, I have this very strong connection to animals and it's like cannibalism to me. So like, would I want to live with a person who eats meat? No, I wouldn't. I, so that was just a part of who I am. Sure. And I start to realize with the help of some some guides that we just came together maybe it was an agreement to accelerate each other but we weren't really meant to be together sure. and the really the person that i felt the real strong love with was my husband was Kartar. and so it, it took a little bit of time for that to get to there maybe a whole year where i wasn't sure i thought maybe i was meant to completely leave this but it did help me start experimenting with different things um i would say the biggest teachers for me were um like i said baron katie was very very helpful um krishnamurti uh he's just about really seeing what your mind is doing at every moment um the eckhart tolle work the power of now um the biggest one that helped me the most was um a book that was meant for satnam rasayan which is a kundalini practice but when i used it, I never wanted to do healing on someone. I wanted to use it to just be present to my own sensation. And so I asked Subhag Singh, who wrote the book, it's called Anatomy of Miracles. I asked him if I could make a recording of that. And I just recorded it so I could hear my own voice do the practices. And that's what I use often as my daily meditation. It's present moment awareness so that I can um, come into a place where I just, without thought, just notice sensation and then i notice how thought comes in and wants to make it into something 
mm. wants to make a story around it. Yeah. But it's just a sensation. It's not good or bad. It's it just is. Yeah. And as I went deeper and deeper into that for a number of years, um, I started to understand energy and how it works. And what I understood was when I allow, there is a rising feeling. And then after the allowing and accepting of whatever it is, like as though God is the, in the moment, if God's in the moment, then the moment is God. So right now is, I want to call it God. I don't use that word, but it means something to people. So then in that sense, there's an allowing and out of that allowing arises an intention. And that intention is my, like my guidance. And it tells me like, Oh, open up that door or let's turn off this light or let's pet the dog. Or now I'm going to write this thing, you know? Um, and then there's an, then I feel like, okay, now the intention gets too strong. I'm feeling tense. All right. Allowing, allowing is just like, it's okay. This is how I feel in this moment. It's okay. I would say it's okay is probably the mantra that <laughs> I came out of after that eight period, eight year period, because I needed it from my childhood where nothing I did was right. I was always being, um, you know, being criticized, never met. And then all those, those many decades of the Dharma where there were so many rules. I remember somebody saying as a joke that if you did everything Yogi Bhajan said you should do in a day, you would need 72 hours. I mean, yeah, you can't so, do it. You can't do you all can't. the days, right? No, you can't. And so it, it this that is was, that's been my mantra. It's yeah. okay. I'm okay. It's all right. It's okay. Hmm. With so really? much relief. I, I really want to highlight that, that, that I, what I'm really feeling from you is like you started relating to your sensory body and that whatever your body was offering, you learned to listen to it as opposed to yeah. learn to overriding the body and yes. per, going for this ideal. And so you're painting that very well around how the whole life kind of had so much idealism to it. And then the structure of having to live up to that actually created a disconnect from yourself. Yes. And this is a process of you coming home back to your body saying, whatever is showing up, I guess I need to pay attention to. Yes. Just, just to know that that's, that that's all right. This is, this is how I am in this moment. And then to extend that to other people too. That's, mm. that was the harder part for me, actually, extending it to other people like to Qatar. But like I said in um, my little bio to you, once I got to the point where I knew the outward form was going to change, which was about 2007 or so or eight, um, I was I had been already trimming my hair, but like nobody outside of 3HO can even understand how important this is. I locked the bathroom door. I trimmed like one fourth of an inch. You couldn't even tell. It was just split ends. <laughs> um, you know, I went through that period wearing my hair up in a bun, wearing it in a ponytail for a year or two. But I had a really ugly ponytail. First of all, I have very, I don't have a lot of hair. I have very thin, fine hair, and it makes a ponytail that big. Now, you know, after whatever, three decades of growing, you know, it's, it was, so anyway, I do remember putting on a turban just to go to a chanting in the Herndon Ashram. And I, saw myself in the mirror and I realized this does not have integrity for me. I am only doing this out of fear. I'm mm. only doing this because I don't want anybody to say anything against me. And I said, this doesn't. So I knew in that moment it was going to go. Mm. And it was very, very scary. There were sometimes I felt like 
I was going to be stoned to death. Like maybe that came up from other lifetimes or parallel simultaneous lifetimes. I felt like I was going to be stoned to death. I felt that kind of fear, yes. huge fear about taking off my turban and changing the outer identity. But by 2008, I told Qatar, this, I hope this boat is going to rock and I hope it doesn't upset because this is going to happen. And my son was already in that space. He, he was about to cut his, he was wearing, he was going to college then and he wears hair in a ponytail. And he told me, I know I'm going to be cutting my hair. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to live this path. He was already like, are you kidding? I'm not going to do this. This isn't for me. I'm glad for all the stuff I learned, but this isn't for me. Okay. You know, um, I want to put a flag that. in all of this real quick and just say, yeah. When you had that conversation with the Kripalu guy and that kind of landed and you heard that and then that kind of rippled into the kind of the next few years that more and more accelerated choices of change, yeah. whether cutting your hair or stop wearing a turban. Yeah. But the point you made around kind of this process inside of yourself around, wow, the only reason I'm wearing this turban is because I'm afraid of other people's opinion of me. And so for you to have that recognition... I remember that for me mm. in cutting my hair for the first time. And I remember because I, I process similar to you in terms of noticing what's happening in my body mm -hmm. and the amount of fear that came up for me around it. All I knew was, I don't know if this is the worst thing I'll ever do, but I know having this much fear around not doing something can't be good. And it was like detangling and that's what i just heard you say was you know when fear is the only impetus that keeps us in something where we have to be in our resonance of saying is this really my soul or is this me trying to fit into a peg that isn't my space yes because by that point i had had some epiphanies and the epiphanies showed me that who i truly am nothing can really happen to it i i actually had this realization that I don't need anything, I don't want anything, and nothing can really ever happen to me. I knew my true self. And, and I can say that I don't know it every single moment, but it's abiding with me. And I I had this these epiphanies. And when I was putting the turban on, it was like, that true self was going like, oh, look what you're doing. Why? Oh, you're doing, oh, I see why you're doing this. You know, oh, okay, you're doing this for other people because you think they won't like you. And then, you know, maybe in a parallel simultaneous lifetime, you got stoned to death because you feel this panic like that. And I would alternate between elation and panic, elation mm. and panic. I That was a number of years of that, elation well, and panic. What I want to point out in this exact statement is how you said, maybe this is something from my past life. And that's why I have such a vitriol or visceral response or, yeah. or why this is processing. I agree. I've had these types of things where I thought, well, maybe this is just what my soul's working out. And that's why I want to point it out, because the more we learn about indoctrination and we learn about social control or what it means to be in the grips of um, being trained into patterns of behavior versus feeling our own sensory body and saying, is this right for me? And realizing anybody who really loves us 
is going to feel our resonance and want us to be happy. But that's not the culture of that we had in 3HO. And that's why I'm pointing yes. it out. We had the culture that said, if you're not feeling the essence of the greatness of this path, there's something wrong with you. Reconcile that with your soul. Yes. And that itself, I think, is toxic because that's not support, right? That's not yes. allowing us to blossom into the fullness of what our soul calls us to do or be or have or want. So yes. I, I'm pointing that out because you do what I do. You take it all and maybe that's just my own soul's thing. And, me, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that's bad for either one of us. Mm -hmm. but the more we share our stories, we realize, well, maybe that's a part of the narrative that caught us from really prevented us from being critical thinkers to feel our own body to kind of keep escaping out and reaching for a high versus yes, grounding right. down and saying hey this isn't right for me and i might have to face a lot of ostracization here and historically there was a lot of public ostracization so that wasn't just out of nowhere that you were no, afraid for sure. we saw public stoning verbally Yes, yes, we did. And people who left the Dharma were like they were dead. That's right. It wasn't until the 90s there started to be a little more space and then the the new year, the new. But that I went to solstice with Qatar, went to summer solstice, and I went without a turban. Had you cut and your I hair did, yet? Yes, I had. Wow. And, um, and I remember it because I did it on purpose. I said, I know I'm strong enough for this and I want to do this. And I wanted to do it because I felt like he and I found a way, and I didn't talk much about this, but he's an amazing person. He went in his cave, he went silent for a number of months, and then he came out and he goes, all right, I'm ready. He didn't, he didn't discuss it with me, nothing. He went, all right, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And then we went somewhere where they showed different haircuts, and he goes, so which one do you want yours to look like? And I knew he was saying, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine with this. And he was changing too. Wow. So I went to that solstice and I, what I remembered the most was it was very hard for me to be around anything and including Sikh Dharma. I'm, like I said, I'm not a religious person. I didn't get into this for a, a religion. I didn't want a religion and I don't feel like I need a religion. I guess I'm a little anti-religion in general. Okay. So that's just me, but I remember like I would have to walk off the property and just say to myself this, this one Abraham statement that I like, nothing is more important than that I feel good mm. because how, as I feel, that's how I vibrate. And so that little statement, nothing is more important than that I feel good. I would have to go off by myself and get to that place and get to that vibration that I was felt to, I was in my authentic self. And then I could go back and be with people, but I had to keep doing that. Mm. I had to do that like over and over because it was so, I was so inundated with my mind and, and some people were embracing me and saying, Oh, hi. And, and some people were turning away from me. They couldn't, they couldn't handle it, but I saw that it was their, not a, their inability to handle it. I could see that. Mm. And so I, I, I just, I didn't feel bad for myself. I felt like, their inability to handle it every once in a while i get a little bit angry because I, I would say that's more my mo is rather than get sad or depressed i get angry mm. <clears throat> so i could feel myself sometimes getting angry but most of the time i was just like the like they, i see they can't handle it, sure. it you know it's okay
I think that it's okay really, really helped me and still does. It's okay brings me a lot of relief. Mm -hmm. I felt like I really, those 10 years or whatever that was, I was moving through a lot of trauma mm. and the trauma of those 30 years of being in 3HO. And really the thing for me, and I don't know if it's going to help other people who watch this, but for me, the thing was settle into myself be present and and be okay with wherever I am. If I if I don't like a feeling, I just it's there. So it's it's God in the moment. It's there. Just put a vibrational hug around it, and then it melts and turns into something else. Because nothing stays the same. Mm. It's always in a in a fluctuation. So well, and also because you're meeting without judgment and you're meeting it in love and support. Yes. And saying, Whatever this is, I welcome you. I'm willing to notice. I'm willing to feel the discomfort of this. Yes. And that softens it, right? Yes. So I, I can yes. really appreciate that process you're sharing. Yeah. I, I wanted to just see if I forgot anything I had wanted. Yeah, to I want to bring us to, um, so you and Kartar are going through these changes. You've chosen, you've gone to solstice, you cut your hair and yeah. kind of going into the atmosphere of it purposely to kind of feel into, okay, I remember that too, like going back into community, you could feel who was automatically yeah. judging you just because you had yeah. cut your hair and chosen something else versus those that compassionately still loved you no matter what choices you made. Yes. And they were palpably different in my mm -hmm. experience. And I think that some people just, they were sad that I wasn't like part of the group anymore. I could feel their sadness too, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to meet people as people now. I didn't want to meet them as with that whole stigma attached, like we're part of the crowd, we're part of the group. How about we just meet as human beings? How about if we just see that, you know? And that's another thing that I found happened for me without the turban, because I just want to talk for a minute about what difference I felt between the two. Please. So I was teaching Radiant Child Yoga all around the world, and a lot of people were hosting me that weren't part of Kundalini Yoga. And I think that that, I know for sure that they, that impressed me, that helped me see like people as people, like I'm staying with this couple, they don't know anything about Kundalini Yoga 3HO. And it was like refreshing, we could just meet as people. And so there was that going on. And then, um, uh, and then what I noticed was that when I uh, just had hair, instead of a turban, that um, I felt softer. And I felt people met me softer and that, and I, I, it's hard for me to describe a little more yin. It was a little more yin. I, I felt softer. I felt more like we could easily be one and I, it felt softer. And when I had the turban, it felt very uplifted, but it all went up, up, up. And it was kind of young. It was like a strong young feeling, which made me be a little more like, I don't, I don't want to say that everybody feels this, that sure. wears turbans, just, just me, but I felt a little separate. I felt a little separate. I felt a little bit like I had a path and that person maybe didn't. And I knew what it was and I knew who I was. And, and, and so when I, when I, when I didn't wear the turban and when I got my hair cut, which for me was like layered, First of all, I, I, I was going to be a hairdresser. I have a talent for that. I used to do all my mom's friends when I was a teenager. So I knew that this long, lanky, skinny ponytail just wasn't me. 
because I have wavy hair and it's fine and it looks better when it's layered and it's just been getting shorter and shorter, which I am fine with. And if my husband likes it, he says, I like your hair really short. <laughs> so that's good. He doesn't have any of those leftover feelings either. I love um, that. But, but I think that for him, it's okay. He doesn't have the same recognition of the turban. Uh, he, he has a different MO than I do. And when he, and he teaches Kundalini Yoga, so I just want to mention something about that. Because when all this came out about, about Yogi Bhajan, and when I read Pamela's book, the first thing I felt was really, really disoriented. Like inside, I, I felt like jumbled up and disoriented. But I felt this one clarity, which was, I know this is true because I recognized the manipulation. And I saw it all along, but I didn't know how to name it. And she named it so well. Mm. The way he talked to people, the way he would say things like, what can I say? The guru said to do this. Uh, it's not me. Just that manipulative way he had and he yeah. would speak. I recognized it immediately. And then I thought, well, this is a paradox. Um, this guy had has given all these good teachings. They seem very helpful. They've helped me all these years. But he's this awful person. But that was before I heard the rest of the stories. Meaning one person, the yeah. other children's abuse and stuff the like children. that. Children. Okay, the children's things. Okay, that's a different category for me. So when I first of all, my Savadar, when I when our son was born, she told her story first. I saw it on the beyond page. And she told her story and I knew her. And she was a beautiful young woman. And she said that Yogi Bhajan was trying to pull her into his crotch. And that, that just went off like a big alarm in my head. I said, okay, I know her. Mm. I know her. I, I, she's a beautiful person. I, I know her from a soul level. This, this is awful. Then it got more awful. Okay. For me. And then I wasn't sure what to do about the yoga. Cause we had Kundalini yoga as part of reading and child. Okay. It was kind of based in it. So then the third thing that happened was the, the person who was a child and was forced to sit on his lap. She and I became friends and she told me the whole grueling story mm. And I got off the phone with that and I took notes because I never wanted to forget what she told me. And I wrote them down. And then I said to Kotar, I cannot continue to have Kundalini Yoga be part of Radiant Child. This is the end. Mm. This is it. I can't. I can't. That, that's the, that was the last straw. Okay, all these things happened, but children, I'm a champion of children. There's mm. no way this can be part of what we do. It's to forever tainted for me. It's forever tainted. And so I called together all our trainers. Wait, They're all wonderful pause, ladies. Pause yeah. before you go yeah, into sure. that. Okay. Um, what I'm hearing you say is it's one thing. You started hearing about the, uh, you know, the abuse of the women. You know, so it was, it was reconciling stuff along the way. But then this last year when everything came out, Pamela's book, and then young women that were getting groomed to be in the fold and the, the story started being shared. You're reading that. But still you're able to put it into a category like that's terrible. And yet there still might be some goodness here. And then when it came. It was only the yoga. Just the it yoga. the yoga. And yes. then that still, so it's like yoga and all this other, and then, but when it came to the children, and you actually heard the level of 
abuse of of the children of the child sitting on his lap and i remember that story how sadistic and really what started getting exposed it, it, it drew ruined the her life, life. Hmm? it ruined her life that was the thing that really i mean she's recovering so i don't want to say that but for a while it ruined her life he ruined her life i i just could not handle that and as a little I'm baby a person body. Who, who wants to help children be who they truly are. And he did the opposite of that. Yeah. And I, I want to point out that that, that story, her story um, really resonated because it was something that was a very public thing to so for so long. And it, it's like the sensory memory of it. And no wonder it's landing in you. It landed that way. Like you operate through the sensory system and then to be able to hear yeah. as her sharing was extremely sensory memory clear yes. and not and as she, cognitive memory, but she was young. So all of it was through the absorption of her body. The reason she got in touch with me is because I wrote something on that page because I heard her story and I remembered because I was so tuned into children. Yeah. I remember you as a child too, even though we didn't have a lot of interaction, but I remember you and I remembered her and I remembered how way I thought about that. And I thought, why didn't I tune into this properly? I saw this blank look in her face and I interpreted that differently. I didn't realize that was trauma. I saw the blankness as um, as like she is in the in crowd with Yogi Bhajan, but I didn't really truly get what was going on with her. And I apologized to her in the post. I said, I'm a person who's tuned into children all throughout this Dharma, all throughout the decades of this Dharma. And I saw you and I didn't get it. I just saw this blankness. I saw a blankness there and now I understand what the blankness was. And that's why she got in touch with me because she saw what I wrote and she wanted to tell me more about it. Mm. And when she told me the full story and how it affected her as an adult, um, I, I just couldn't. So the rest of this little bit of this story is that I, I have a different experience than all of our trainers for Radiant Child. Most of them, none of them were in 3HO. They just know Kundalini Yoga because of me. Sure. So, me, they, um, Radiant Child yeah. is totally infused with Kundalini Yoga at that time. Yes, and and, right. and also, yeah, and also we have a two hundred hour, and it was infused with that too. Okay. So, um, they all learned it, and some of them really loved it. And I didn't want to make this a statement for all, all of them teaching. So I said to them, I understand that I have a different history than all of you, but I can tell you that after hearing this story, and I told them some of it, uh, I will not be using Kundalini Yoga as part of Radiant Child, and we will move it away out of the manuals. But if you're teaching the Radiant Child Foundationals training yourself, you are welcome to put in what feels good to you, because I know you might not have the same, um, you don't have the same history, you don't have the same uh, relationship to it than I do. Mm. So I'm, I want to honor that. And if it's something that helps you keep practicing it, that's up to you. But I said, I'm just letting you know where I'm at. And so we really have removed that and we've moved into other things. Somatic yoga 
is a somatic movement is a course I'm teaching tomorrow. And it's more about um, being present to yourself and seeing what your body needs and just not even calling it yoga. I'm so sick of yoga. It's like yoga, yoga, yoga. We <laughs> like laugh or yoga. Can't you just come together and laugh? You yeah, know, Why exactly. exactly. <laughs> or like if I want to, uh, if I want to put a pillow behind my back and an eye pillow on, do I have to call that yoga or could I just be relaxing? You know, <laughs> So anyway, that's another one of my little, little pet peeve <laughs> yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got I got a ton of those, <laughs> right? <laughs> I totally relate. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> so, so I guess that, you know, where I come to now is um, I did start um, at the request of this per this young person. I started a Facebook, what is it? A GoFundMe page for her. Okay. So that um, because all of this has cost her so much money and she, you know, all this therapy she has, she's had to get and, you know, she she's trying to put herself through school. So um, I did that and I, I want to help in any way I can. I also have this one class that I teach online now. It's called Happily Ever Now. And anybody who, who wants to part of the, the 3HO movement and the change that we're making can just come at no charge. And it's a, it's a, a class I put together with all the, the, the things that I did to help myself um, be more authentically who I am, like the sensory work, the, mm. the ability to uh, look at what's happening and notice what my mind is doing and then uh, being and the okay. Story. Yeah, the story yeah, of latching the whole story, to, to make right. up why this is what it is and then what I have to do in response to that. Like that's all the creation yeah. from a sensation. Right. The, yes. Yeah. And using using everything to my own benefit. Like I use I can say that the three HO gave me a lot of benefit and it brought me to the place where I am now, where I didn't don't need that form anymore. But I feel grateful for it. I feel grateful. Um, I, I am just wishing that um, there was if there's anything I can do to, for anyone who is going through a lot of trauma with this, I'm really happy to help. I, I also teach Qigong online and I love Qigong. It doesn't have any like master, <laughs> doesn't have a master. It's just, you know, this ancient practice based on the acupressure points. It's like meditative movement. People can get in touch with me and I'm happy if they can. If they don't want, they don't have the payment, that's fine. They just come. I'm happy to help in any way I can. On that note, why don't you go ahead and just leave a, a connection place so that people that listen can can find a way to reach you? Oh, okay. Um, email or website, what would work best? What do you want to share? I guess the email is good. It's uh, my new name. I didn't talk about that, but L-A-N-A-R-E-E-D 88, just 88 at gmail.com. And the, the reason that I switched my name is I had wanted to switch Kalsa for a long time because that denotes you've taken the highest Sikh vows and I, I don't live that way anymore. And I wanted to take my grandmother's maiden name, Reed. But after the things came out with Yogi Bhajan, I decided that that phase of my life was really over and I'm in the last one third of my life now and I'm going to change the whole thing. And um, and I, he, cause he gave me that name and yeah, Shakta had a lot of energy and did a lot of things. And now Shakta period is over, mm. you know, and this is, this is Lana Reed and Lana, I just like the name. I did a lot of writing postcards for getting out the vote. 
using that name and I like it. And then my sister asked me if I would put my birth name in the middle, which is April. And so I put that in the middle because I didn't really feel like putting it first, but I want to honor that she calls me that, you know, and her daughters call me that. And that's fine. So um, in a way, after going into the present moment awareness and really feeling that we really are actually more of a verb than a noun, like we're energy and that and the verb is like an action more than a noun. I actually didn't want to have any name at all. But since I had to be recognized by a label, I decided to take this one. (laughs) (laughs) Totally get that. I I think that. Um, it's just so beautiful, the metamorphosis you're describing, because it was just this past year that you made that critical decision to say, Kundalini Yoga's out for me, yeah. you know, and yet yes. you gave the agency to your teacher trainers to say, you choose that, but it's out of the manual. It's out of my body of work. Yes. And then you yes. also definitively chose, I'm going to change my name now. I've been on the fence around this. And what I appreciate about you sharing is, this is how we metamorphosize, you know, like yes. it's in stages of like awareness, sensation. How come I'm doing that? Do I want to be doing that? Huh, huh. Yeah, and right. it's like exactly. in that process, whether it's Qigong or all these different kind of energy somatic based experiences, it's a process of coming back home to say, what is right for me? And well, I don't know. Well, I need to sit with this for a while until I do know. And you're describing that, that this like these stages, whether it was your husband or whether it was you Mm -hmm. or you and him, or, you know, it's, this is the unfoldment of energy beings of who we are. And then what it means to have indoctrination layered on top of us. That's right. That's right. Yes. Thank you. I so appreciate that. Um, I am very grateful that you're doing these. I actually really want to thank you because you're, you're, you are providing a service that people need and it's it's very very healing um thank you and thank you to all the listeners that are listening you know it's really a service for all of us to um crack ourselves open in whatever place is available whatever entry point i like to say is available to you right now and it, it it's like become curious as you've shared with us to say hmm what's coming up for me And what do I do with that, you know, and starting to shed identity is real because if we're trained into a certain thing and then we realize, wow, the illusion I've lived, what do I do now? How do I reconcile this? So thank you listeners for listening. I know I've reached, you've had a lot of people reach out to me, say this is helpful. If you'd like to support the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, you can um, go to gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations and make a one-time or, or monthly donation to the podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for that. Just, mm, it was such a beautiful lens into kind of the naivety, the purity, the beauty, mm. the illusion. Letting go of idealism. Yeah, letting go of <laughs> idealism, living up to idealism, and then the process of what it means to give ourselves per- more permission to just be okay with yeah. ourselves. Yeah, I think if, if people if people catch anything, it's like, I'm okay. It's okay. That has such a refreshing downward energy for me that just just lets everything just be and that's a starting place for anything new to happen is to just be okay 
Yeah. And I think that's super relevant for like feeling what we're feeling. If it's sadness or if it's anger or if it's rage or if it's despair or whatever the sensations of the body offer to get in more and more space to let ourselves feel that. Yes. Yeah. Which in our community, it's a tough one because we were, you know, very much trained to not feel these things and to do another meditation or another practice to override Keep up, G. Keep up. <laughs> Big one. <Some> of... <laughs> so that was then, and this is now, and we're learning and growing. And um, for a long time, my little motto was take the best and leave the rest. But I don't even feel that anymore. I just feel like just be, just be myself. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's all just be able to be ourselves. Yeah. So good. Is there anything more you want to share or leave listeners with before we go to your Um, song? Well, I I wonder if I could get this up right away. I did write a poem that really expresses that time period and I had pulled it up, but no, I don't. Why don't don't I introduce you? You introduce your song and while I play and I look for your poem and then we can. Oh, that would be great. Okay. So I'm not going to share very long of the song for copyright reasons, but we do have a Spotify playlist for the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast. So if you want to listen to the full version of the song, please check that podcast or playlist out. Okay. So tell us about your song. Why'd you choose this song? I chose this because um, this is a song by Wa and her and I are friends and she went through a lot of this too, uh, around a little before me. And this song she wrote was is called um, the whole album is called transformation. And this is when she was making that transformation. And I love the part that says there's two lines that always catch me and it says, if you want to relate to your soul, you have to let go of what you know. Mm-hmm. And the other part was, um, staring into emptiness listening to nothing looking down into the great abyss is a godly thing and that helped me so much because that's that's the place that i needed to come to and i still need that at times and it may help others thank you let's go ahead and um yeah go ahead i'll look for that poem thank you here we go Thank you so much for that yeah thank you so i did find this poem if you'd like me to read it this one typifies the changes i was going through and it's a good reminder for me 
that I, and maybe it'd be helpful for others. It's called Not Finished. Beautiful. Not Finished. I am moving farther and farther away from my relationship with myself, like a boat in the distance, growing smaller and smaller on the horizon. And perhaps I cried when I saw the loved ones up close as they stood on deck, those I prayed for, beseeched the God in heaven for, and hearing the call they came, and I called them mine, my spouse, my child, my spiritual path. And now, so tiny on the horizon, almost a speck against the vast blue gray waves and voluminous white clouds, and me alternately burdened and elated by this strange, by this strange detachment. Who am I? Not someone, not even something, changing moment to moment. I can play the game and still enjoy it for a while. Then it comes back to freedom, no identity, experience, no mind. That is where I want. That is what I want. That is where I'm headed, shaking up everything, everything in my life. No more the perfect fit life with all the answers. Cannot squeeze myself into it now. Cannot call on guides and gurus for help. Must go with what I know, and that is only me. This me, who is like liquid mercury, changing forms, colors, never can hold on to and say, that is it, stop there. This is who I am. How long before it explodes into existence and blows my cover? No one to talk to, just this paper, these symbols called words to comfort and clarify me. They can only take me so far, but they are all I have. Where is my friend? Got to walk this lonesome valley alone, even though I might know all the friends, soul companions who travel the same no road with me, even though perhaps all the universe is smiling me along with unseen hand. I cannot know them now. I refuse to see them, though my heart feels them there. Just have to go with what I know now, not the unseen, not the God of my past. Past cannot return. It is a fake. How much have I loved? How much love has been for safety, validation, affection, comfort? This new me that presses to be known cannot allow any of that kind of love. That is security, not love. It is fake love. Myself trembles with excitement and fear at the hint of knowing real love. The props disappear and the two-dimensional life falls flat. Enticed and not having anything else worth doing, I follow, pressing through the veil, the invisible curtain. I have to become light like the summer breeze to pass through. And when I reach the other side, I cannot tell you about it. It has no story, no rules, no known no relationship to anything else. Tingles. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you so I, much. I like remembering that. It. I live differently now, but I like remembering that. It, it brings me into that a good space. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you for that share. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. If you'd like to contribute to this podcast, once again, you can make a one-time or monthly donation at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, please give me an email or shoot me a messenger at gn at gurunishan.com.
You can also subscribe, follow, and support my work at gurunishan.com. Thanks so much. Please subscribe and support the podcast by giving it a review on whatever podcast platform you're on. And please share it with a friend, spread the word, and let others know that these conversations are taking place. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.